1: Hi there and welcome again to the Defender Bible Study. This is Rick Morton and we're starting today a new study, uh, through the books of 1st and 2nd Corinthians. We finished our, our study of, uh, 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus and, and so now we're, we're jumping into a new book and, uh, we begin today with a little bit of introduction into the book and Paul's relationship to the church at Corinth. Um, Paul had an extensive history um, in the city of Corinth, and and has obviously wrote two letters um, to the church. Uh, but he was he was there and began and established and planted the church in uh, Corinth after he left Athens and and stayed a year and a half in the initial. Um, stages of planting the church in Corinth. We see the story of that in Acts chapter 18. We also see that Paul moved on in Acts chapter 19 to Ephesus. And and we also know from the text of First Corinthians itself, from 1 Corinthians 5, 9, that there is a letter that Paul wrote during the time that he was in Ephesus, during that Acts chapter 19 time, that he wrote back to the church at Corinth. And, and we don't know what that letter said. Frankly, that's a that's a lost letter. But where we find ourselves in in the beginning of First Corinthians is Paul has um, received reports about um, particularly from people in Chloe's household about disturbances in in the church at Corinth. He may also um, we kind of get the idea from chapter sixteen that he he might have received a delegation of people that actually had come and brought him questions and asking about problems that were going on in the church, um, and divisions that were going on in the church that, that needed to be addressed. And, and so Paul basically wrote first Corinthians to, to respond to these questions and to these reports. And, um, and, and really, you know, um, we kind of know more about the church at Corinth than we do you know, perhaps about any other New Testament church because of the amount of time that Paul spent there and, and the letters that he wrote to them. The only one that kind of even rivals it is the church at Ephesus, but Paul, you know, wrote with two letters that Paul wrote to the, the church at Corinth. And so. He obviously cares about them. He also um, he also wants to help them, and and is is acting as a spiritual father to them. And so that's the context in which we um, you know we dig into uh, First and Second Corinthians. And so we're going to begin. Uh, I'm not going to read the text. You can read that on your own, and just for the conservation of time. But we uh, we jump into uh 1 Corinthians chapter 1 we're going to we're going to start today in um, in chapter 1 we're going to do the first 12 verses we might go just a little bit further um in, in just kind of commenting about a couple of things there but 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 1 um Paul starts the letter by uh, talking about himself by declaring who he is and his um, his credentials. It says Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ um, and our brother Sothenes, um, Sosthenes. and so. Paul, right off the bat, you know, and, and it sounds a little bit today in in the modern context, a little bit arrogant for you to start with who you are in your credentials. We like after all, we sign letters at the bottom. We don't sign them at the top. But in the in the first century, it was the practice to to sign letters at the top. And, and Paul signs his letter in a particular way to um, really to to you know, point to his authority as an apostle. And, you know, we know that there's a special designation in the church of apostle. We don't still have apostles in the church. I mean, people, there are people that call themselves and and churches that claim to the office of apostle. But it's not the same as um, as the office of apostle in the first century church, because uh, in the first century church, we didn't have a New Testament. And so how did the church know um what was right and wrong? What was good and bad? How do they how do they know and discern good doctrine? They knew and discern good doctrine because because they got it from and and they compared it to and they filtered it through the apostles. And these were people of, of a special designation that had that had been with Jesus, that had, you know, that had a, a, a certain calling and a certain importance to the church. And 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 so Paul Paul's basically saying, look, I'm, I'm one of those people um and you know he's claiming back to his Damascus Road experience and his calling by Jesus um, and so he's been with Jesus he's been called by Jesus he's been he's been given the mantle of of shepherding the church just like the other um you know the other of the the apostles and so and and this is also um, A little bit, we're a little bit betrayed by English here because because the in in the English translation, it says Paul, um, Paul called to be an apostle. He this is in the in the Greek. It's actually um, Paul called an apostle. It's not to be just Paul called an apostle. And and so he's kind of asserting here that he's not just called an apostle, but he is he is an apostle. Um, then he moves on and he talks about the church and he says to the church of God that is in Corinth to those sanctified in Christ Jesus called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. And so he he talks about the church at Corinth and and their place within the larger church, within the universal church. And the fact that they're not, they're not alone by themselves, but there are, there are things that are true about them that are true about every church and things that are consistent. That's important because that's part of what Paul is going to be laying straight here because there's, there's doctrine that's being applied in the church at Corinth that not being applied everywhere else because there are people in the church in Corinth that are wrong. He also talks about the idea of, of, of those who are, you know, that the, the church is sanctified in Christ. And, and by, by implication, what he's saying here is, is there are people that are in there are people that are in the community. They're calling themselves the church that are not sanctified by Christ. And he's making a point that we should really recognize here is that, um, that true Christians are a part of the, the universal church and, and true Christians are a part of, of being sanctified and, and changed by the Holy Spirit into the image of Jesus, um, that we're being transformed, um, and, and, but, but there are, but there are people that are in the collection of people that call themselves the church that aren't. And that's part of the problem. And Paul's going to be addressing that to some degree in first, first and second Corinthians, where he's talking about the influence that people have that are that are not, you know, that are not that are not really Christians that are that are influencing the church. And and then, you know, beginning of verse three, he starts talking about, um, you know, this idea of or actually in verse four about this idea of of the gifts that have been given to the church and so he says in verse 4 I, I I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ and so Paul's just reminding them here that um, everything that they need to live for Christ, they've been given by Christ. <laughs> that, that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection and, and their, their claim of, of following Jesus and claim of Jesus as Lord, um, their acknowledgement of the sufficiency of his sacrifice is enough. And like, that's all there has to be. And, and Paul, Paul's not being subtle when he's saying to them, look, every gift that you need to be given, um, you've been given. Why? Because there are people that are in the church that are saying, hey, there's a there's a special blessing. There's a second blessing. There are gifts that you have to have or manifest or things that you have to do in order to really be in Jesus. And and so they're like they're talking about that. It's salvation plus or that it's Jesus plus something else for salvation. And that's just never an equation that's affirmed in the New Testament. and It's never an equation that works. And so let's stop for a second and say, okay, what does that mean for us? What it means for us is, is that, that salvation is in Christ alone and Christ is enough. But we don't have to do something else. We don't have to earn our salvation. We don't have to work hard to do that. That ultimately, um, our salvation is, is sealed in Christ. And then he goes on in verse eight to, to even, you know, underscore that. It says, um, so he's talking about Jesus and he says, who will sustain you till the end guiltless in the day um, of our Lord Jesus Christ? And then verse nine, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so, um, you know, he says, ultimately, um, they aren't being kept in Christ because anything they, of anything that they've done or anything that they've not done. They're being kept in Christ by the power of Christ. By the work of the spirit. Um, there's not some additional gift that gives evidence of the Spirit's presence in the life of a believer. There's not anything else that's necessary. If you have Jesus, you have enough. I don't know who needs to hear that today, but but I think sometimes we struggle with what we should be doing or how our obedience earns God's favor or earns our salvation or 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 like adds merit to what Jesus has done. And Paul's very squarely saying. To the church then and to us now there's nothing we're doing that's that's adding to um our our being saved our being saved as a result of what jesus has done and in verse 9 he says it very squarely that ultimately god's the one who does the calling of people into the fellowship of his son now we're not gonna we're not gonna break that down soteriologically you can you know we can argue about that at a different time or talk about it over a cup of coffee But, but what it, what this clearly says here is that salvation is an act of God. It's not something, it's not something that primarily we do. We don't have the power to save ourselves. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't have come and he wouldn't have died. And so under that umbrella, what is it Paul's calling the church to do? He's calling them to be unified. And so, um, you know, starting in verse 10, he says, so then he turns and he says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we've talked about who we are united, like we're all in Jesus and it's all because of Jesus. So now he's saying on that name, I'm asking you, I'm begging you um, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind, and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. And And so Paul's saying, look. We need to quit fussing and fighting. We need to quit fussing and fighting over something that's not ours. The church belongs to Jesus. We belong to Jesus. Um, that, that ultimately, uh, these little petty divisions about who and what um, don't really matter um, in in the grand scheme of things. And and it's really interesting. And this is the part where I'm going to go a little bit beyond the text that I'm supposed to you know, to address today, if you go on down and, and you look through verse 17, Paul, Paul uses the illustration of baptism as the thing to talk about in this disunity. And he says, look, I, I didn't baptize many of you. Um, most of you, I didn't baptize. And the reason I didn't baptize you is because I didn't want you to say, I didn't want you to say that your baptism by me was better than the baptism by, by someone else. And so like, I didn't want you to do this, to choose up tribes based on, based on people and personalities or, or, or or those sorts of things. Like I tried to avoid building a church that was going to do that. And, um, it's a pretty good aside here that Paul's talking about quarreling in the church. And it's funny to me that he actually, that baptism is actually the thing that he brings up. Now it's not exactly the same fights we have over baptism today, um, But the truth is we, we, there's no, you know, small measure of the fact that we, you know, we're at odds in Baptists and Presbyterians and, you know, and others about modes of baptism and, and, you know, time of time and occasion of baptism and all that sort of stuff. And, and I think the thing that we do, that we do well to remember here is, is that's not really something that's essential for salvation. And so the test of fellowship is not whether, like, we have a doctrinal disagreement, um, you know, who we follow, whose books we read, who we listen to, those sorts of things. The test of fellowship is, um, is the authenticity of, of someone's faith, faith based on the essentials of the gospel. And what Paul wants for us is, is to be united under Christ. Um, and, and so, um, you know, we recognize that some of those powerful work that we've been given, given to do at Lifeline is to give opportunities for local churches to cooperate, to show the bond that we have in Christ across denominational differences and other differences. And so the reason we stand outside of but cooperate in relationships with groups of churches and denominations and and and. Church associations and non denominational churches and all that sort of stuff is because, because we want to respect what it is that Paul's saying here um, in 1 Corinthians 1. And and it's not that we think those doctrinal things are unimportant, um, but we, but we also want to, want to be very certain about those things that we must have unity in. And so that's why we have a doctrinal statement. That's why we ask families um, to sign a doctrinal statement as ministry partners. That's why, that's why we put that out there for partnership with churches and other associations, because that's the basis of our partnership, because those are the things that we kind of look upon and say, those are the things that are essential in order for us to be able to accomplish um, to 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 cooperate together for um accomplishing the work that we've been called to under the authority of the gospel. So if today's been helpful to you, um, we, we love the church and uh and we want to to serve and be a bridesmaid to the church and 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 we want to be faithful to the church. And and so hopefully um, today's Bible study sets the context for understanding the way we at Lifeline frame our understanding of the church and how we're trying to come alongside the church. And, and I'll just kind of give you an aside here to say. That if if you're in, you know, if you're listening to us and we're not engaged with your church, we want to be. Um, and so give us a call. Uh, our church engagement team, Pastor Chris and Tim Christ and others that are a part of that department want to um want to be connected with you and 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 want to help your church our whole team wants to serve your church um we'd love to come and, and and be there and and talk to your church about these things and i'm available herbie's available others are available on our team and and we we want to build those bonds and build those connections because we believe at the end of the day that the work of caring for orphaned and vulnerable children in Jesus name is given to the church and it's best expressed through local churches, not through a parachurch organization. And so we just exist in order to, su- to support and to educate and to train and to give things to the church in order uh, for that work to be done. And so I hope today's been helpful, and we look forward to the rest of our study in the book of 1 Corinthians. Um, And thanks for joining us, and we'll see you right back here uh, again next week.